Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome back to Bible Time with Pastor Brian. This is, of course, your host, Pastor Brian, and I'm so excited that you guys are joining me here again uh, this time around as we continue our study and our look at the question, is it in the Bible with the topic of the forbidden fruit? Now, the whole story, you guys should know it by now, even if you're not a normal church regular, you probably have heard the story of Adam and Eve before. And it comes from Genesis chapters 2 and 3. And what, what do we claim to know about it? Or what does society at least think that they know about this forbidden fruit? The first thing that I see a lot in media, in pictures, in paintings, in people just sharing the story, they say the fruit was an apple. And then some believe that two trees were forbidden in the garden. And then a lot of skeptics will claim a couple things. One, they'll claim that God lied to Adam and Eve since they didn't immediately die after they ate the tree. And then also they'll say it's unfair that God put a tree in a garden or in the garden that he didn't want Adam and Eve eating of. So why did he create it in the first place? So we're going to talk about all of those things here today. Now, the first one, of course, is the most common misconception around this entire story that the fruit was an apple. Like I said, it's common in movies and art and culture and things. But what does the Bible say? Well, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, that's where we get the commandment from God not to eat of the tree. And let me just go ahead and read it for you. It makes it easier that way. It says, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And then Genesis 3, you can go into that, and it talks about or Eve talking to the serpent, where she says that they can't eat or touch from the tree in the midst of the garden. And I'll, I'll talk more a little bit about what she's going through there in a little bit. And then in Genesis 3, 6, or just a few verses after that, Eve takes the fruit from the tree and ate it, and then gave it to Adam to eat as well. But every time that it's brought up, it just says the fruit of this tree this fruit from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. None of these tell us what fruit the tree produced. So why in the world do we think it's an apple, where Scripture clearly does not say that it's an apple or not? Well, there's actually a few places that this comes from. The first one is from the 4th century, somewhere around 300 years after Jesus. A guy by the name of Jerome translated the Hebrew Bible, so the Old Testament, into Latin. And when he was translating the book of Genesis... He chose to use the word malus, or the origin of our word malice, to translate the Hebrew word ra, that means evil. Malus meant evil in Latin, yes, but it could also mean an apple, or any other fleshy, seed-bearing fruit, such as figs, pears, peaches, things like that. And so you get this little bit of a conundrum, where those that word means both of those in Latin. It can mean both of those. You just have to know the context. And so people in the future, specifically a guy by the name of John Milton, if you're familiar with the book Paradise Lost that he wrote in 1667, you might have heard about it in English class or you might have studied it um, just in the course of your studies at some point. He mentions that fruit being an apple as well in the Garden of Eden. And once again, if you look back and when he was writing in 17th century England, it was just the same as it was in the 4th century Latin, where the English word 
apple at the time didn't just mean an apple. It could have also meant any fleshy seed-bearing fruit, such as, you know, figs, pears, and peaches, just like it did back in Latin with the word malus. So, a lot of people just started translating it as apple, and as that word changed meaning, they never changed the whole opinion or their whole opinion around whether or not the fruit that was in the garden was an apple. They just started assuming that that was true because the word malus was used in Latin, and then John Milton, in his book Paradise Lost, called it an apple. But in both cases, it could have been a whole number of different fruits. Any fruit that has got kind of that fleshy um, just substance to it and bears seeds inside of it was called a malus or an apple at the same time. And then also, not just talking about apples, but there are also a few other Jewish traditions around what the fruit was in the garden. And personally, I didn't know about any of these. So these were kind of exciting to learn as I was digging into this. And it was from Genesis chapter 2 and 3, of course, just where we got this from. And it was some rabbinical teachings from the Talmud, collection of uh, Jewish teachings from the rabbis on the Tanakh, or what we would call the Old Testament. And it gave three different opinions from three different rabbis as to what this fruit was. The first one said that it was a grapevine, that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was actually a, a grape, um, or a producing grape, so it was a grapevine. And he said that because, and I quote, nothing causes more heartbreak than wine. And that was the evidence that he gave for him thinking that the fruit in the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a grape. The second one is a fig. And, you know, if you look at it like that, I guess it would probably be a little more understandable than a couple of the other ones that we're going to, of course, with the grapevine. And then the next one that we're going to get to here in a second kind of goes way out there. But that one seems a little in interesting because after their eyes are opened, they being Adam and Eve here, after their eyes are opened, they end up sewing figs, le figs leaves together to try to cover up their nakedness. And so this rabbi assumed that since they sewed the fig leaves together, they were using the object of their disobedience to try to cover up their sin, and cover up what they had done wrong. And then the last one, and there was no evidence given really for why they thought this, but one person thought it was wheat, that the whole, that the fruit and the tree was not really a tree at all. And it wasn't even technically a fruit. It was a grain instead but I'll let you parse that one as you wish to. The Midrash, which was a popular, um, also just kind of along the same lines of the Talmud, is a similar rabbinical collection, decided as claiming that the fruit was a citron, which is a large lemon-like fruit that was an origin species for many of our modern citrus fruits. And I've actually think, I think I've seen a couple uh, children's books maybe over the years or biblical illustrations that have created something a little similar to a citron instead of um, an apple as being what Adam and Eve ate. But then again, just kind of guessing at that point. So my conclusion, whatever the fruit was, there is one thing for sure that we know, is that we don't know what it was. It was never mentioned. Is it heretical to think it was an apple? No, of course not. However, you should not believe someone is heretical for not thinking that it's an apple either. So don't, if, so, if, you come, if you encounter somebody that says, oh, the did you know that the fruit in the garden that Adam and Eve ate of was actually wheat? Don't think that they're a heretic. 
They might be a little out there, but that's okay. But that doesn't mean that they're not a Christian. They're not a believer. Because at the end of the day, the fruit itself doesn't matter. And that's why scripture does not share with us why or what the fruit was. Because that was not the main focus of the passage. The main focus of the passage was to communicate that mankind sinned. Mankind was disobedient to God. Mankind did not trust God's words. And because they did that, they fell. It doesn't matter what the fruit was. It matters what they did with the fruit. And then the second one. I've heard this from a couple different people. And I actually had somebody send me a link that had something to do with this at one point. But it says that there were two forbidden trees in the garden. And I know some of you that have studied this for a long time or at least heard it since you were a little kid are thinking, wait a second, hold up. There was only one forbidden tree. And you would be right. But hear me out really quick. So God's commandment in Genesis 2.17 is very specific. They are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, no mention of any other forbidden trees. That's the only one that's mentioned. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. And then Eve actually takes a little further when she's talking to the serpent, where she says, not only are they not supposed to eat it, they're not supposed to touch it. And why? It's like, because if we do, we're going to die, is what she tells the serpent. And the serpent, of course, is like, no, 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 you're, you're not going to die. And so after they eat of the tree, let's, let's jump over to that really quick. After they eat of the tree in Genesis 3, towards the very end of the chapter, you get this interaction between God and uh, this other group of people that are mentioned here. There's not really, there's not really anybody mentioned, but God says us, and we've come to believe that to be like the Trinity talking there. It says, then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life, and eat and live forever." Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So now we have this other tree that was mentioned at the very beginning as being one of the trees that was in the garden, but now it's being protected and trying to like keep Adam away from it. Now, why? did God remove access to this tree? And I will give you one word that I believe sums it up entirely. Mercy. Mercy is the word. Sin had now entered the world through Adam and Eve, through what they had done. And it would have been unmerciful for God to allow Adam and Eve and their descendants to live forever in their fallen, sinful state so he chose to remove their access to a tree they previously had full access to in order to allow mankind to die. As those that die are free from sin and its temptations, but not from the punishment of the sins that they commit. Don't get me wrong on that one. But once you die, you cannot sin. You're no longer tempted by it anymore. In Revelation, and it's really awesome because at church we've been studying this for the last few weeks, and in the book of Revelation, we have multiple passages where it mentions the tree of life again. And not only does it mention the tree of life, it mentions that access to it is given to those who believe and trust in Christ, meaning that mankind's banishment from the tree is not permanent for those who repent. 
In conclusion on that part, when God gave the commandment, the tree of life was still accessible. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, access was revoked. When all is made new, and those who are bought and covered in the blood of the Lamb are enjoying unbridled fellowship with God, access to it will be restored. There was only one forbidden tree, but mankind has temporarily lost privilege to one other one by eating of the forbidden one. And then we get to this third claim. These I'll call them 3.1 and 3.2 because they're, they're claimed by a lot of skeptics as being like gotcha moments, I guess, when it comes to the whole story here in the garden. The first one is that God lied because they didn't die immediately. And I pose the question to you. Did God actually lie in this instance? Let's look at the scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. It says, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And then Genesis 3, 4. We see where God says, let's see if I can find it again, or where not God, but the serpent said, says the serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you surely will not die. For God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then in 3.22, we see this happen. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So, doesn't that make the serpent right? Keep reading. Verses 23 and 24. Therefore the Lord God sent them out of the garden, which we've already read this, just like to read it again, to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. God forces them out of the garden and places the cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the tree of life, keeping Adam and Eve from eating it. Death was given to them. It wasn't that they died immediately. It was that death was sentenced upon them as a blessing and as a punishment. As a blessing because it keeps them from living in sin forever. It's one of the great blessings that God has given us, because even with evil that is in this world and evil people that live in it too, there is that hope that one day that person will die. One day that horrible, brutal um, leader that's killing his own people and starving his own people and destroying his own people in his own country, there's that hope one day that they will pass. That if they do not repent, there is one day, there's one appointment that every man will make, and that is death. And we can rejoice in that, that there are some world leaders that it's okay to rejoice when that happens, because that is a mercy that God gives to the people that are suffering under that person. So that can be a blessing. And not only just taking those people out from sin, but taking us out from our own sins as well, from the temptations of them, from the consequences of them. And then punishment. Um, God's wrath towards sin demands a payment. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. That's what sin works, is death. It brings it. And God allows it to bring it. And so, to the conclusion, God didn't lie there. Eating the fruit didn't kill them immediately. But, because of their disobedience, the tree of life was removed from them. 
and it became appointed for all men and all women and all people born of Adam to die once. So then we get to 3.2. Why did God make the tree of knowledge of good and evil if he knew that they would choose it? Why even put it there? I was actually posed this question as a high school freshman over 10 years ago at this point. But I was posed that question by one of my friends. He's an atheist, and yet he went to church. His family was church people. And he asked me that question. He said, why would God put something that he knew they would take a hold of in the garden? Why not just not put it there? Why not just keep it away? Because wouldn't that be more merciful? Wouldn't that be more good? If he just didn't ha give them the opportunity to choose differently? So many people think that God is careless at best or evil at worst for intentionally creating the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It, he was going to punish mankind for eating from it. Why would he do it? And I have two words to give you on that one. Just as I gave you mercy for death, I'll give you two words here, and that is free will. He gave mankind the choice. Worship God or worship yourself. Trust in God's words or believe your own. Be obedient to him or be disobedient. He gave them that opportunity to choose, to pick. He forbade them from eating of that tree, but he did not stop them from choosing it. He gave them that opportunity. God allows for humans to have free choice. And in my personal opinion, I believe that this proves his sovereignty. He is the omnipotent, omniscient creator of the universe. And I believe that allowing humans to make decisions and choices is just a great picture of his sovereignty. Because think of the billions of humans that have lived. There are 8 billion people live on planet Earth now. Think of the untold number that's lived since creation. God has worked and prepared a plan that has no glitches, no surprises, no anything. Through all of their choices, he knew what they would pick. Did he force them to pick that? No. He allowed them to pick as they wished, but he knew what they wished, and he knew what they would pick and choose. And because he knew what they would pick and choose, he planned accordingly. And since he did that, and since he knew what every human would choose ever, he has a perfect plan in place that has never failed. It has never had a problem or an issue or anything. Some might argue that free will undermines God's omniscience, but I would argue that it proves it. If he can make his will happen in unison with the free choices of billions of people, that would make him the most wise, most powerful, most glorious being in the entire universe, which he is. He gave Adam and Eve the knowledge they needed. He gave them every reason to trust him, but they doubted him and allowed themselves to fall to temptation. He knew that they would choose poorly, but he wanted them to follow him in love and through their personal choice, not through force and against their will. He wanted them to have the opportunity to pick. And yes, they chose poorly. But I hope those of you listening today don't. I hope you take into account the story that happened with Adam and Eve, where God told them what to do. He laid it out before them. He said, I'm, I'm essentially what we read throughout the entire Bible, laying out this whole path of life and death. If you choose to follow after me, you've got this tree of life waiting for you that you can eat of. But if you choose to eat of this tree, death will come. And it will come as a guarantee if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
if you choose to disobey me, if you choose to follow someone else, that's what will happen. That's what will occur. So choose today who you will serve. Decide today to trust in the Lord. Make sure, make sure that you choose wisely, that you learn from their mistake, and that you choose to follow after Jesus and trust in him today. God, as we come before you here today, we're just so blessed and thankful. And God, we're just so honored to be able to study your word, and I'm honored to be able to study your word and to share it with anybody that's listening. Might be 10 people, might be 10,000 people at some point, I don't know. But I'm so thankful, God, that you've sent them my way. And that you've allowed me to share your word with them. And I pray, God, that your words would shine through any mess that I've thrown out there. That your holy and true gospel would just shine gloriously through the mess that I have made. And I pray, God, that you just go with each person that's listening to this podcast and just give them strength and give them guidance. And I pray, oh Father, that you just continue to go with us as we study your scripture together, as we study your word together. And I pray that you would help us keep our focus solely upon you. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we do humbly pray. Amen. Thank you guys for joining me. And I will see you next week.